Hello and welcome to The Climate Conversation. I'm Dan Bursett, Executive Director of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. It's another episode uh, where I'm joined by my longtime co-host, Emma Johnson. Hi, Emma. Great to see you. Hey, Dan. Great to see you as well. Uh, my energy is really high for this episode because we have an exciting announcement to share with you all today. That's right. ESI has launched a brand new online resource called the Beneficial Electrification Toolkit. It's a one-stop shop for utilities to learn, research, analyze, plan, and execute a program to electrify their service areas and to do so in a beneficial way. Even though it's designed for utilities, there is a ton of useful information included, such as different types of electric vehicles on the market, how external stakeholders like nonprofits could support utilities creating beneficial electrification programs. And all of this information is free and available online to everyone. So we encourage everyone to go check it out at betoolkit.org. And if you're unfamiliar with what beneficial electrification is, let me provide a little background. Our homes are powered by electricity, but not necessarily everything that can be operating with electricity is operating with electricity, such as your gas car or your natural gas stove. Going all in with electricity for all of these appliances can be a key solution to help us break free from fossil fuels, reduce local air pollution, and help low-income households save money. This is what beneficial electrification is all about, making the switch to electric end-use applications that save money, reduce emissions, improve quality of life, or strengthen grid resilience. Examples of beneficial electrification in action are switching to an electric car or replacing your radiator heating system with a heat pump. And in my case, I switched out my lawn and garden equipment for all electric, and I'll never look back. The beneficial electrification toolkit is designed for utilities because those are the entities the organizations that manage the electric grid and power sources for a designated area. And that puts them at the forefront of the energy transition. Using the toolkit, no matter at what stage in the process they are, whether they're just thinking about a program or whether they fully executed one and they're, or implemented one and they're looking to expand it, utilities can find the resources they need to guide their electrification work. And of course, our team here at ESI is also available to help every step of the way. I'm now gonna turn things over to Keith Dennis, who is the president of the Beneficial Electrification League to talk more about beneficial electrification and how anyone can help support this work. Any type of electrification could be seen as beneficial to a certain group. For example, anything that helps reduce carbon reductions could be seen as beneficial to a environmentally minded person. But if it comes at a really high cost to a consumer, a consumer might not see that as beneficial to them. So beneficial electrification itself is a term of art. It's really describing a subset of electrification that's going to be beneficial to a wide variety of folks. If you're able to electrify a vehicle, that's one thing. Maybe you get some cost benefits, maybe you get some environmental benefits. But if you're able to time when you charge that car to better times in the grid, you actually improve those benefits. So by working on all of these different pillars, you're able to make it more beneficial. And in that way, you're sort of finding new places. You're going to be able to find new places where other electrification that might not have been beneficial in the past might become beneficial. Electrification in general has really improved quality of life immensely, and, and, we, and we forget about that. Now, there's all sorts of different tools out there that can be done with electricity instead of, instead of fossil fuel. And, and when you do that, you reduce combustion, and that just 
reduces exposure to the harmful fumes. So I think especially if you're talking about someone who's maybe cooking inside or has a, a, a lot of fumes uh, associated with their work, if they're in garages, if you're mowing a lot of lawns, if you're out on boats with a lot of, a lot of uh, diesel emissions, you're not going to be smelling that. You're not going to be. You're not going to be exposed to it. And kids are riding on school buses, for example, with diesel fumes. And I think until you kind of realize that it's 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 an option to not have that, you don't notice it as much. But once you start noticing it, you're like, yeah, you know what? If if this was quieter, if there wasn't these smells, if there wasn't these fumes, that would be better. <laughs> and you know, until it's an option, sometimes it's it's not even in your mind. But the fact that we could have that option will improve people's lives as we as we're able to advance this technology. Electrification is at its heart something that the consumer has to be involved with. It's often in, in the United States, it's fr there's freedom of choice and you can choose what type of product you want. So being able to educate folks on the newest products, the, the benefits of them, being able to make compelling cases of, of why this might be the product for somebody, it's going to be incredibly important. Without that, you know, the consumers might just choose the, the easiest option and maybe not the optimal option. So I think it's going to be across all different fronts. One is, you know, just making sure that it's a policy option to provide an incentive for something that switches over to electricity. A lot of times that's not an option. It's not seen as something that necessarily is, is a traditional energy efficiency measure. So just figuring out, you know, um, how to transition things from like when we used to change old light bulbs out to LEDs, you know, those types of programs could be shifted to, hey, you know, maybe you could shift your lawnmower from, from gas to electric. And that comes with all, all up and down the, the supply chain from starting to talk about changing the rebate to actually talking to the consumer and everything in between. I think the toolkit's going to be something that will give people a resource to look at for each stage of that. And, and that's going to be an important tool going forward. Well, it's great to hear from Keith. He's been a great partner to us here at ESI who are looking to get beneficial electrification programs uh, out in rural areas in particular. And we're so uh, grateful that the league is a partner on the toolkit and has helped support our work so far. And we look forward to uh, what's to come. Now, Emma, let's talk about an example of beneficial electrification in action. To do that, we are taking listeners out to Durango, Colorado in the Southwest corner of the state. We're going to hear about how the Durango School District is turning towards beneficial electrification through piloting an electric school bus program with help from their local electric cooperative, La Plata Electric Association, also a longtime partner co-op with the ESI. The electric school bus, which is the first of its kind to be used in Colorado, hit the road in early 2022. We are thrilled to have three guests on to talk about how this new initiative came to life. I'm Dominic May. I'm the Energy Resource Program Architect at La Plata Electric Association. And we're a co-op in Southwest Colorado, uh, serving La Plata County and Archuleta. I work on innovative projects here and uh, mostly beneficial electrification. My name is Carla Sluice, and I am the Public Information Officer for Durango School District 9R. And I help manage internal and external communications for the district in the district office in Durango. Daniel Blythe. Director of Transportation for Durango School District. Thank you all for being here. Let me start off by asking, how did this electric school bus pilot program come about? Was there an event or instance that made you all say, now is the time for us to get an electric school bus? So Dominic with uh, La Plata Electric approached me about looking into getting an electric bus. And so we 
work together to research it and see what the benefits were. And then we worked on the grant that was available for it together. And that's how we kind of got it. Yeah, and from our side, I, the opportunity kind of came along and the grant funding um, arose. And I saw that, that um, come through from the uh, Regional Air Quality Council rack here in Colorado. And uh, that was going to fund a significant portion of it. And at that time, also from the technology side, um, I was able to research and see that the very, very first uh, options for real vehicle to grid in the field were with school buses and specifically with conveniently the Bluebird school buses that 9R uses. So the stars kind of aligned on doing this as both a pilot project and trying to get one of the first school buses in the state on the road for 9R um, electric as Daniel mentioned, all those the health benefits, the electrification, all of those were the reasons behind it. But the timeliness of the opportunity, I think, was driven in large part by that grant and the technology happening to come online. It was ready just in time, basically, for us. And I would say, too, that this electric bus represents a lot of the super exciting work that our superintendent, Dr. Karen Chesser, is doing around our sustainability committee. And we just celebrated Earth Day in our community, but we all know that Earth Day is more than just one day. Protecting our planet has to extend beyond just that one day. And this e-bus runs throughout the school year. It's a symbol of our commitment to that sustainability every day. So getting projects like this implemented requires a team effort. We have people from the utility, we have people from the school district, people who work in facilities, people who, you know, takes a lot of people to get on the same page to make something like this happen, right? And I'm curious how the decision to start this program was discussed among different stakeholders across the school district. Was everyone on board right away or, or were there reservations that were out there? And how did La Plata Electric Association work with the school district to address those concerns and help get everybody on the same page and realize that this electric school bus opportunity was uh, a good thing and would, would be a good thing for all of the different stakeholders? Um, I will say from my perspective, when I was able to take this in front of uh, the school district, Daniel was extremely receptive. I actually tried with a few school districts here and 9R was unique and that they were just, um, Daniel was ready to go on this and happy to collaborate on the grant itself. We were able to mostly do this project just between the two of us. Um, I uh, kind of worked in a, a, a silo and we got to do the, the big reveal. And I think even internally, a lot of people were surprised that we were so far along. And it was a, although obviously for us, it required collaboration across a lot of teams to actually make it real and in the ground. We had uh, put in all the infrastructure. So we put in a new transformer. We had stakers involved to do all of that. Um, contractors to do trenching for three more additional chargers. So ideally we keep going with buses down the row. We had you know people all across the board, basically just doing the, the electrical work on that and planning and whatnot. Um, and then we've actually had to rewrite a new policy with our GMT tri-state. So our lawyer has been involved in this process and drafted up a contract that we'll put in front of 9R. So really it's been one of those kind of trailblazing processes where we've had to touch a lot of people along the way. Daniel has done a lot of work after the fact um, with the fleet drivers. I that's part that you know now that it's out there in the wild, it's been I, it comes up my road. I see it almost every morning <laughs> taking kids, um, and I know that working with drivers, making sure that familiarity exists, um, has been something that's largely on Daniel's side to coordinate with that. I definitely agree with Dominic. Uh, things 
just seemed to fall in place. When it was brought up to me, I took it to the CFO and the superintendent about the opportunity of this, and they were completely on board from the beginning, just the opportunity for it. And working with like LPA and the people that came in, everything just seemed to fall right in place for us right along the way. I mean, uh, I think the thing that took the longest was just getting the bus here. And I would say it's kind of a no-brainer for anybody driving by any gas station anywhere and looking at the sticker shock of those prices, that this is a huge financial benefit for our district. I think there was an estimate that we could save up to $5,000 per year on the use of gas, and all of that money can be funneled back into the district for use by teachers and, and all the great programs that we have in place because education is pretty cash-strapped. So we're excited to funnel that money back into our education. So speaking of timing the charging, one of the cool things about an electric school bus is that it's a clean source of transportation. But another very cool thing is that it's basically just a battery on wheels, and it can function as a stationary battery when it's plugged in, provides a, a grid resource, a demand resource. How did that change how the school sort of uses and charges the bus and what benefits does that bring? Yeah, I can speak to that because we manage the charging as a part of this agreement entirely. And uh, that was actually a big part of the reasoning behind how we made this project possible. And when I did the ROI calculations and whatnot, going to V2G was a big component of that. And the vehicle to grid allowed the dispatches during our peak time to perform really significant energy arbitrage. So I'll kind of get into the details on that. But starting off with the simple part, it was it's good for 9R, um, the school district, because they're on our large commercial time of use rate. And the way we will charge the, the bus during the hours it will always be on the cheap part of the time of day rate, which is half price charging, basically, from what they would have had otherwise. Uh, so around six cents a kilowatt hour and makes for extremely cheap operation of the bus. So from their side, the charging, they should basically, they'll never really know that vehicle uh, dispatching is going on in the background. Typically, there'd be some kind of incentive because 9R does own the bus. They own the charger, in this case, that were don donated by us. And that's why in this agreement, um, having the bus entirely free and the charging, all that free through donations, the agreement was 9R, so you can use the battery indefinitely. Basically, you'll run that. And we agree you'll always have 100% charge with we'll, we'll, First, it'll be a bus, and second, we'll do energy arbitrage off it. So we run those time of use hours, basically, and the, our commercial time of use aligns very nicely. We're an evening peaking, winter peaking utility, as many um, utilities and high elevations or cold, cold climates are um, across the United States. And so when the bus goes out the morning route, um, that's during one of our peaks. And so it's off the peak right then in that early morning, six to nine, and everybody wakes up and starts running all their appliances. And then it's out and on its route, it comes back at about you know nine or 10, charges up in the middle of the day, which is off peak and a great time to charge for us. We have excess solar, we have all sorts of cheap, clean power going. And then it goes out on its route and the second part comes back and we actually did a 60 kW fast charger, which I'm very glad we did for a number of reasons. That lets us basically top it off to the point where during that evening, we usually peak between 7 and 9 p.m. And so during that time, we can dispatch at 60 kW for those two hours and, and dispatch against our peak. One of the financial nuances to that 
is through our GMT Tri-State, we pay a coincidental peak demand charge once a month. And it's pretty significant. It's $20 per KW. So that actually influenced a payback that if I were just making the six cent time of use off peak energy as the utility, our margin on that is something like two cents. And it was going to take literally something like 400 years to pay the $180,000 back. However, with the vehicle to grid, when I successfully pull the, pull the trigger on the dispatch, I can make $1,200 to $2,400 between that shifting down every month and that shifted into an eight or 10 year payback. So that was a significant piece of how we actually made it feasible and how I'd hope to scale the project going forward to keep doing these and be able to give out free infrastructure, leveraging that peak avoidance. And then after that 9 p.m. hour, we wait a little while to be safe and we top the bus back up to 100%. So it's ready again in the morning. So ideally, all this happens in the background and it kind of allows LPEA to pay back its infrastructure. And I'm hoping to prove this out in such a way that the next three and going forward all over the community, we can say, we'll put in the transformer, we'll cover your line extension, we'll put in the charger. Uh, you just have to let us do this. I just really love the fun fact that when the bus is fully charged, it can power, I think it's 30, is it 30 homes for up to two hours? And that's a really interesting little math problem for all of our kids that are, that are on the bus there that they can think about this battery on wheels charging up 30 homes. You know, it's just an interesting little fact. Yeah, and for our region, it's actually closer to 60. Yeah, it'll, when we flip the switch during our highest use period, it'll effectively turn off 50 homes off our grid. And if we were to extend that across the bus lot, it's non-trivial. The bus will actually alleviate over, well over twice its weight in carbon every year. Dominic, you said this earlier, but you see the bus going down your road every day. And of course, it's still doing its primary job of ferrying kids to and from school, from their homes. But it's obviously doing it in a way that's quieter, in a way that's cleaner because of cleaner interior and exterior air. And I'm curious to know, how is it done handling Colorado's cold weather and mountainous geography? I think that could be a concern that some people have perhaps about electric buses. And I'm also wondering about if you've heard testimonials from students, parents, other people around the bus who can say what it's been like to either ride in it or see it every day. The cold climate has certainly impacted the range of the bus pretty dramatically. And that's actually circling back to one thing I mentioned earlier. One of the reasons I'm very, very glad I went with the 60 kW DC fast charger here. If I were to done a level two charger, which a number of school districts are doing and looking at doing with their utilities right now, I would be nervous that on the coldest days during the middle period when the bus gets back, maybe at 9.30 in the morning, maybe has to leave again at no, no, 2.30 in the afternoon, if I'm charging even on a fast 10 kW or 12 kW level two charger, I might not get enough to finish a route in the afternoon. So that made me really glad we went with the 60 kW fast charger. And the other thing I would mention is because of dispatch, there's a, it's better on the battery to dispatch right between 79% down to a certain low threshold. And we've done around 2015, 10, we've done even, um, but you don't want to go discharge from all the way. 
their Cummins and Bluebird are working on alleviating this limitation right now. Um, and they're, they've actually come down and they're kind of iterating on our, our bus feels very much like a first generation science project. Um, people, they'll get it up to where you can do it hundred percent, but that was even, we were saying that there was enough range loss that I think it would have worked, but there's a little anxiety because the bus drivers don't want to come back with, you know, 20% in the tank. So we actually did a workaround for that where now when it arrives back in the evening, it, uh, it's used some of its energy and to top off, it only tops off to 79. Then we do arbitrage. And then after our dispatching, then it goes back to 100. And that 20% was actually became kind of important because of the significance of the range loss on the absolute coldest days. Definitely on the cold days when we're running the heaters and everything, it cuts the range down some. Dominic said we worked around it to where he goes out with full charge in the morning, even with the loss of the heaters, because you're losing at least 25% of your range, if not a little bit more. I know the parents and the kids that ride it, kids don't like it so much because they can't, the driver can hear everything that goes on there. But I've heard a lot of people are asking when we're going to be getting more because they love that it is such a clean energy and they enjoy it. And I would just say, I guess we're lucky that we're not Michigan or someplace like that with really, really cold weather because our winters are still pretty mild. And the other thing I would say too, is that this is new technology. If we're the first in the nation doing this, it's okay that it doesn't work perfectly. It's okay that it's a pilot and we're working through these hiccups. It's just really exciting that we can be in our little rural district in Colorado, that we can uh, take a first run at it and... From what I've heard, the kids at the Earth Day event, they were crawling all around this bus and they, they felt really proud, especially on Earth Day, that we had this cool bus and we're the first in the nation to have it. And, and it's just right here in Durango. And as you all have mentioned, you're just in the pilot program stage. Is there anything you can say about how you're hoping to grow this in the future? And I'm also curious if through this process, trial and error, Dominic, you mentioned this felt like a science experiment, if there have been some key lessons learned that you think would be really helpful for other utilities and school districts to know if they were hoping to establish a similar sort of program. Sure, yeah, I speak to a lot of other utilities and school districts who've reached out. There are a couple of big learnings that would share. There's a lot of funding coming down, some of it through the DOE, some of it through the state. And I'm trying to keep an eye I'm on a number of different committees and whatnot. They've pushed it out a little bit. That was going to be available start of May, now a little later. But there's billions and billions of dollars dedicated to electric school buses. So really watching that, I think we're in a strong position to get another grant. We did scale our transformer project. We did the conduits with stub outs to do three more chargers right down the road. We, we've kind of proved a project that's in the wild. Uh, we also just have a, a strong application in the first round, we were seven selected out of 38. Um, so I'm optimistic that we'll be able to keep scaling this with grant funding and maintain the model where LPA can contribute a significant match to do basically all the charging infrastructure. And then in the future, I'm hoping you know, that they could basically, as they need to replace school buses, throw in the 150K, whatever it is, that would normally be spent on a diesel school bus. I'd like to tell utilities, though, that payback scenarios, since one of the benefits of the electric school bus so often build our time of day rates and how conveniently they align for the utility perspective, um, if they're ready to do it with the technology, I think personally, I'm a bit of an evangelist for the vehicle to grid as it has that potential to really drop the payback. 
while leveraging the, the resource, turning it into a DER. I also talked to them as the school district side, always going through the, the main benefits that are that we've seen, the really cheap, the, the paybacks, the ability to actually get it for the same price as diesel with the grant funding. Try to work with their utility to explain how they should throw in free charging and free infrastructure in the video to make it easy for the school district to adopt. And the, the big benefits I always point to there are the health and the savings. Well, I love that Dominic says that he's an evangelist because I, I feel the same way on the, on the PR side of this. It's really exciting that Durango can be put on the map and our school district in particular can be put on the map as, as starting this program because our kids are really lucky to grow up here with, with tall trees and flowing rivers and our fresh air and they intuitively understand why it's important to protect it. And we're just really proud to be a part of this. And we're, I think one of our plans is to have uh, the bus in the Snowdown Festival, which is a big winter festival, kind of crazy in January. And the entire town can get a sense of why this bus, what it represents and why it's important to the district and why it's important for our planet. Dominic mentioned a lot of funding's coming down right now and there's gonna be opportunities for us to do get more of these and keep going. And as he mentioned, we can put what has been installed already. We can put three more buses on the line. And I know that's what our goal is. Well, Dominic, Carla, and Daniel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was very cool to hear about how things are going with the new bus and great to hear that the kids take pride in it. That's very cool. ESI has been lucky to work with La Plata for about five years now. And the utility is doing really great stuff. And it's really great to hear how the utility is helping the school district and all the various, you know, members of the community, you know, make a really positive impact on the, the lives and the health of the, the kids who ride the buses and who work around the buses and who walk around the buses when they cross the street. It's really great to hear. So thank you so much and congratulations on a really successful pilot. And we're really looking forward to seeing where it goes next. Thank you. Thank you. Fun conversation. Well, Emma, that's a great example of beneficial electrification in action. And really, really great to hear, uh, well, to hear from Keith at the start, but then also to hear from Dominic, Carla, and Daniel. I think one thing that really stuck out to me, and I think a major driving force behind how we organized the beneficial electrification toolkit the resources that are in it, how it's structured, how you navigate through it, is one thing that came through is how many people, how many stakeholders in the community in Durango had to be involved or had to be supportive of the project. You heard about the superintendent, you heard about the transportation department, the facilities department, the utility, the public affairs team, and of course the students. And uh, getting, or getting pilot programs like this off the ground is not easy. And for you know intrepid utility program managers like Dominic for forward-looking transportation departments like Daniel represents and the school district that Carla was here for, three of the really important sort of stakeholders that had to really become aligned very early on in the process to make this happen. It's a lot easier not to do a program than it is to do a program. And I hope our listeners take away this really great example of how all of these you know, varying interests and responsibilities and priorities can come together and it's great to see beneficial electrification in the middle of that. Last thing I'll mention is um, we mentioned during at the end of the interview that we've worked with La Plata for a while. Um, ESI actually works with lots of rural utilities and electric cooperatives in particular. 
And one of the things we do is help them access resources like the Department of Agriculture's Rural Energy Savings Program. We had a briefing on that back in February called Financing Inclusive Clean Energy Investments in Rural America. And we heard from great panelists, including the one-of-a-kind representative Jim Clyburn, who's a member of the House of Representatives and is a huge leader on rural clean energy issues, how these federal resources and how utilities can really be at the forefront of the transition to a decarbonized clean energy economy. And beneficial electrification is absolutely one of the best ways to do that, in part because it delivers benefits to the utility, to the school district in this case, to the grid, and of course, to the environment. You're so right, Dan. Those are really great thoughts about connecting all of this together from Durango to the national level and all the work we do in between. One of the things that really stuck with me Carla's comments about the community building that's happening around the electric school bus. I think in when we talked in the beginning about what beneficial electrification can do for a place, you know, I mentioned save money, reduce emissions, improve quality of life, and strengthen the grid. Well, you know, strengthening community bonds wasn't really included in any of those things, but it just goes to show that there are even more benefits beyond those four that I listed that can come about that can be really exciting and provide more support and excitement, enthusiasm for this kind of work that will hopefully only continue to grow. And to build off of that, you know, electric school buses, as we said, is just one piece of a huge network that is possible through beneficial electrification. And going to the beneficial electrification toolkit at betoolkit.org is really the best way to learn about everything that you can do with beneficial electrification and everything that is possible for utilities, but for everyone. This process of releasing this toolkit has been a two-year undertaking so far, and it's nowhere near finished. There's lots of plans to continue expanding it, adding more resources, adding more pages, continuing to refine the resources that are already there. So I have to shout out the main toolkit team, which is John Michael Cross and Miguel Yanez Barnuevo from EESI, who are so critical to this work and do so much work around uh, utilities um, every day at EESI. There have also been two consultants who have been working on the toolkit, Kellen Lynch and John Jantz, who have been instrumental members of the team. Thank you to all of them for all the work that they have put into it so far and will continue to put into it in the future. If you liked the story and you want to keep learning more, head to our website at esi.org. Also follow us on social media at EESI online for all of our recent updates. You can listen to the Climate Conversation wherever you get your podcasts. It is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Go to eesi.org slash sign up to subscribe. Thanks for joining us and see you next time. 